Amen. Would you uh, please show your appreciation uh, to David and Aaron Kelly? Uh, David is actually, um, yep, thank you. David is a firefighter in, uh, in DeKalb County, and he was pretty much up all night long. So not only did he uh, have the uh, pleasure of seeing the time actually change, okay, uh, then he had to be up pretty much all night saving lives. So we want to especially uh, appreciate him for being here this morning and for he and Aaron leading us in worship. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and take those out, uh, or if you turn them on by using your phone or digital device, uh, we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 and part of verse 6. If you need a Bible, uh, Shannon Sauls is going to be walking down the aisle. You just raise your hand. You are welcome to keep that, or you can uh, give it to someone or if you just need to use it for the day and return it, you can return it at our Next Steps table as you leave today. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 and part of verse 6. In the Bibles that we just handed out, that's going to be on page 1176. And if you're new to the Bible, uh, the Bible is uh, a compilation of 66 books. And then each book is divided into certain chapters. And then in each chapter it has verses. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21 is where we're going to be. Now, as you make your way there, let me remind you of a few things that are coming up. Number one is our ladies' night out. It's going to be on March the 23rd, so we have about 11 days, and that's going to feature my wife, Lisa, who's going to be sharing her story of adoption and reuniting with her birth mother, uh, that's an incredible story. If you've never fully heard uh, what God has done in Lisa's life through that, uh, I want to encourage you to come. March the 23rd is a Thursday night. It's in partnership with Gratis Community Church, uh, over, and it's going to be at the Gratis Gate Community Center. If you have any questions or you want to get registered for that, you can go to our website, statemchurch.org, go to our registration page, find the uh, the chosen event, Ladies Night Out, you can click on that and register. Or if you have received our newsletter, it'll have that link in there as well, and you can get signed up for that. So that'll be on March the 23rd, starts at 6 o'clock, I believe is the correct time. Also, in a few weeks, we will be celebrating Easter on April the 16th, but following that, on April the 23rd, we're going to have an event called our Comeback Sunday. Now, Comeback Sunday is simply that. We want to invite those guests family and friends of yours that are here Easter Sunday, we want to invite them to come back to church the following week. That week, we're going to have a cookout. We're going to have, anybody ever heard of a little ice cream dude out of Athens? Anybody ever heard of a little ice cream dude? You need to check him out online, okay? Little ice cream dude is going to be there for the kids. We got bomb pops, if you like bomb pops, uh, all kinds of ice cream, all right? We're going to have that. We're going to have the cookout going. We'll have some games uh, for the kids. It's going to be a fun event. That'll take place on April the 23rd over at Robert Bridges Park, which is that direction. You turn right out of the school until it dead ends, hang another right. The park will be down there on the right called Robert Bridges Park. Okay, so that'll be our comeback Sunday. And then uh, one last thing is our Discover Statum class will be on May the 7th. If you are new to Statum Community Church and you're wanting to find out more information about the church, how to get plugged in, uh, how to become a member of Statham Community Church, 
Discover Statum is the place for you. And I want to encourage you to, you can use your Connect card on the, uh, the, the worship bulletin that, that Parker so uh, graciously demonstrated how to tear off that perforated form, okay? Um, and it's quiet, too, so it's not really awkward. As you tear that off, you're not making some huge noise. Just tear that off, fill that out if you're interested in being a part of our Discover Statum class on Sunday, May the 7th. So those are just a few things that we've got coming up. If you have any other questions about events and opportunities for ministry here at, at our church, we'd love to get you connected. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to start in verse 21. Everybody ready? All right. Or is everybody still kind of like back on one hour? Yeah? All right. Well, let's, uh, let's start reading. Here we go. Ephesians 5, verse 21. The Bible says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed it and they care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, Paul says, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. A home that is built by Jesus, that is built for Jesus, and built on Jesus can stand up to anything. Now, every home has a builder, every builder has a blueprint, and every blueprint begins with the foundation. Cornerstones are used as foundational pieces. Sometimes you'll see in, a, in maybe an old brick building, you'll see a cornerstone that may be decorative, and it has the date of construction. But what I'm talking about here is not something that's decorative, but something that is functional. Something where a cornerstone, the purpose of a cornerstone is to unite two adjoining walls. So today, 
we are going to unpack three cornerstones of a spiritually healthy family. Three cornerstones of a spiritually healthy family. Any fans of Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanna Gaines? Any fans? Yes, or followers, should we say? I'm a follower. Lisa's a follower. We DVR it and set it. We watch it, you know, all the time. Love watching Chip and Joanna Gaines. Okay, let me ask you a question. Who is the builder? Chip is the builder? Anybody want to disagree with that? Nobody wants to disagree with John Graham. <laughs> Chip is really the hired hand. Joanna's the builder, right? She's really, the, I'm going to disagree with John. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to step right out. He may be swinging the hammer, but he's following her instructions. She's the designer. She's the builder. Here's the thing. The builder is the visionary who keeps the laborers on point so that you ensure the final product. All right? So when it comes to your home and the relationships that are in your home, the Lord is the general contractor. He's the builder of your home. When you take a look at Psalm 127, verse 1, the Bible says this, that unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Now, every builder has blueprints. They have the design. They have what is laid out for them. And it's that detailed plan for how something is built, right? Everybody's got to have that. You're not just going to start building something and not really have it laid out. Now, you may be the designer. You may have gotten some graph paper out and drawn out your little building that you wanted to build. And you can do that. Me, Mine would be a stick-built house. I mean, it would not look pretty if I were to try to do something like that. I'm just not that gifted. I couldn't draw it. I couldn't build it. It would, it would really resemble more like the Leaning Tower of Pisa than uh, something that you could put stuff in. I mean, it would just really not be good if I tried to do that myself. But a builder himself or herself has the design that they follow in order to construct and to ensure the final product. Now, one of the things that I enjoyed most of all when I was growing up was building models. Loved to build models. Now, model cars today, now I can remember going to the store. I don't remember exactly what store it was, but I can remember going to the store, buying a model car, and it cost me five bucks. Not anymore. This one was about 28 I'm like, good night, what in the world is going on with model cars? I mean, like they're made of gold. But here's the thing, with a model car, you know, for me, I was always fascinated with just the beauty of the box, the beauty of the picture on the box. And I'm like, okay, I can build that, I can do that. And, and that's exactly what I wanted to do. And you know, a lot of times when we're talking about marriage, a lot of people go into their marriage relationships thinking that this is what they're going to get on the first day. They think that it is going to be beautiful and perfect and everything is right in the world. Now, the first day might be just that. It might have been a beautiful day. It might have been a beautiful wedding. It might have been a perfect day. And then you go on your honeymoon, and then you get back, and then you begin to open the box. Oh boy, 
So what's in the box are just parts. And you start thrumming through these parts, and they look nothing like the box. And you're going, what, what have I gotten myself into? Because this is what I want, but that's what I got. What we've got to realize is that when it comes to the marriage, when it comes to the home, it takes work. It takes time. Because I can tell you this, we're not gonna, we're not, I'm not going to be able to build this in a day. I'm not going to be able to go through these parts and just put everything together. Now, I could put it all together in a day. I could glue it all together and not do any paint, not do any design work on it. And I can build the Jeep. I can build what's there. But it's not going to look anything like what's on the box. Nothing. No. What's going to happen is I'm going to have to take the blueprint right here that's provided, and I'm going to have to take my time working through it piece by piece by piece by piece. Being patient, being detailed as I build the model. And a lot of times that's the way we approach our lives, especially for young couples. They go into this thing thinking this is, this is perfect, that this, this guy is perfect for me, or that this girl is perfect for me. And that we look at them and we're thinking that they're supposed to be our savior. But what you're really doing is you're putting them in the place of Jesus. And nobody is really built to be your savior except Jesus. And it's really become, it really becomes unfair. Here's the, here's the thing. People will go into a marriage relationship or into a home relationship thinking that so-and-so is uh, that person that says, oh, they just complete me. Listen, that's Jerry Maguire talking, not Jesus. All right, for those of you old Jerry Maguire movie fans, all right? That's Jerry Maguire talking, not Jesus. I hate to burst your bubble, but if you went into thinking that your wife was, or your husband was going to complete you, they may compliment you, but nobody is designed to complete. You are designed to complement. Let me give you some questions to think about. Have you ever thought that God placed you, partnered you with an imperfect person so that he can teach you his grace and forgiveness? Have you ever thought that God blessed you with imperfect children to teach you how much he loves you? Have you ever thought that God designed your marriage not for you, but rather for him. If your marriage and your family is simply designed for your own satisfaction, if you're going into it with just where it's just for your own satisfaction, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Here's the thing: your marriage is to be a model, is to be a model of Jesus' love and sacrifice. It's going to be that where your family is, is that laboratory of God's grace and his forgiveness. And the only way for it to resemble what's on the box is to follow God's blueprint. So what's his blueprint? What's God's, what is God's blueprint? Well, see, God's blueprint for building your home basically has three cornerstones that we're going to talk about. 
And those three cornerstones are designed to do three things. Number one, they're designed to bring God glory. Number two, they're designed to portray the relationship between Christ and the church. And number three, they are designed to lengthen your life. Now, when I'm talking about lengthening your life, for some, that may mean physically, a physical longevity of life. But for others, it may mean a short life with great impact that continues on through generation after generation. So the three cornerstones that God gives us are to give Him glory, to bring Him glory. They are to portray the picture of the relationship between Christ and the church, and they are designed to lengthen your life, to deepen your impact. And those three cornerstones that we're talking about are iterated in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, which we're going to read here in just a second. But they're also reiterated in Ephesians chapter 5, 21 through 6, 4, what we just read. Listen to this in, a, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Listen. Starting in verse 1. You can just make a note of this on your, on your worship bulletin. These are the commands, the decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you. This is Moses. Directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Three cornerstones. First cornerstone is that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is the chief cornerstone. The second cornerstone is that we're to provide spiritual leadership where it starts in the home. And then the third cornerstone is that we're to raise up the next generation of spiritual leaders. So let's start with the first cornerstone, Jesus. He is our chief cornerstone. The Bible says in Psalm 118, verse 22, it says the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Matter of fact, Jesus used that psalm, he used that passage of scripture in the parable of the wicked tenants in order to proclaim what kind of death he was going to experience as well as his subsequent exaltation. So he uses the passage out of the Old Testament in order to proclaim that he himself is the cornerstone that the builders rejected, but yet now God has raised him up to be the chief cornerstone. In Ephesians chapter 2, if you were to flip back just a couple of pages, you would see that in Ephesians 2 that Paul declares that Jesus is the chief cornerstone for the church and of the gospel that it proclaims. So not only is the church built on Jesus Christ... And he is the chief cornerstone for the church. 
He is also the chief cornerstone of the gospel that it proclaims. And then he goes on to say in Ephesians 2, in verses 20 to 22, he goes on to say that we as individuals, get this, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Go back to the original definition of a cornerstone. It is designed to adjoin and unite two adjoining walls. That's the purpose of the cornerstone. Jesus being the chief cornerstone is who designs us. He is designed to unite us, one wall, to God, one wall, together. And that wall is to become one. And it's a place where God dwells. It's a place where God lives by His Spirit. Remember, a home that is built by Jesus, built on Jesus, and built for Jesus can stand up to anything. So, verse 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. Now, the message of this passage here is about mutual respect. It's about mutual respect to one another, for one another. What the Bible says is out of reverence for Christ. Who is the focus in this passage? It's Jesus. Jesus Christ is the focus. It's not about who has the power in the relationship. It's about both yielding to the power of Christ in the relationship, uniting the two together. It's a mutual respect. It's a, it's a respect that says, not only is Lisa my wife, and not only am I her husband, but it says that she is my sister in Christ, and I am her brother in Christ. So we have not only a marital relationship, we have a brother-sister relationship in Jesus Christ. And we're to submit to one another. Last week, I said that Christ is that common cord that creates an uncommon marriage. This week, in that same light, Christ is the common rock on which all spiritually healthy marriages stand and homes are built. Our marriage is built on Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, and for Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can stand up to anything. We can stand up to anything. Whether it be death or life. Whether if it be fear and pain or lack of hope. Whatever it may be, we can stand up to anything. You can stand up to anything that happens in this world, if your relationship with your spouse and your children is built by Jesus, on Jesus, and for Jesus, you can stand up to anything. Cornerstone number two. Cornerstone number two is, to, that, is that spiritual leadership starts in the home. It starts in the home. So let me ask you a question. We talked a little bit about this in our small group. Uh, last week we talked about 
What is spiritual leadership? I just want you to think about that for just a second. What is spiritual leadership? If you have a definition or if you have an idea of what you think that spiritual leadership is, you can just go ahead and pencil that in. Just write that down on your notes. But what is spiritual leadership? Consider this. Spiritual leadership is following Christ and leading others to do the same. Spiritual leadership is following Christ, you following Christ, and you leading others to do the same thing. So as you follow Jesus, as Paul says, he says, look, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul was a spiritual leader. And he encouraged everybody that he taught, everybody that he shared Christ with, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, he was not setting himself up as Jesus, but he was setting himself, he, he was explaining to everyone there that he was following Christ and that he was going to do everything in a Christ-like manner. Spiritual leadership is that same thing. Follow Christ and lead others to do the same thing. And in this passage, what you see in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 and following, what you see are two leadership roles within the home. You see two leadership roles. You see the wife's role, and you see the husband's role. You see the wife represents the church who then submits to Christ. The husband represents Christ who loves the church and died for her. There's two different roles, but both are important. Both are important. Paul, in this passage, he describes the church as Christ's bride and his body. Now, I want you to think about, for those of you who are married, think about how beautiful your bride was on your wedding day. Think about the joy that you were experiencing that day, that what an incredible moment that you were about to experience that day. And, and the joy. Hopefully, hopefully you have had a joyful marriage and a, and a hopeful marriage in your life with your bride. The wife represents the church. The husband represents Christ. Paul describes the church as Christ's bride and his body. And the love that Jesus has for his bride was so great that he died for her. That is the level of love that we should have for our wives, is that we would be willing and that we would demonstrate that life-giving love by being willing to lay down our lives for her. As his bride, the church is Jesus' first love. As his body, okay, as his body, Jesus is the head, he's the leader, he's going to set the pace, but the church is the heart. He's the head, the church is the heart, and that's where his focus is. He's going to love it, he's going to care for it, he's going to nurture it, he's going to do everything he can to protect her heart. And as husbands, that is our job. 
to protect the heart of your woman. She's a precious, precious individual made in the image of God. And we, husbands like Christ, are to yield or give up our lives specifically for her. But in that process, it may not just mean dying. It may just mean saying, okay, honey, you win that argument. (laughs) All right. It may just mean backing off just a little bit, giving her her space, giving her that time that she needs to think and just maybe just be alone or maybe just to talk. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you're dying to self or dying for your wife or just taking your phone out of your pocket, okay? It does have an off button and just turning it off. And giving her your undivided attention. It may mean that. But these two leadership roles in, the, in, in this passage are, are important. Listen, R.C. Sproul said this. I love what he said. He says, when the Bible says that the husband is to be the head of the home and that the wife is to be in submission to her husband, it does not give the man a license to tyranny. You're not to be, as a husband, you do not have a license for tyranny in your relationship. Your wife is not your slave. Your wife is your queen. Okay? That's who she is. That's who God designed her to be. Both, though, are to set an example in spiritual leadership. Both have the responsibility of being spiritual leaders in the home. Listen to this. This is where this cornerstone of spiritual leadership really begins to take shape. Listen, wives, let me speak for, to you for just a second. And, and for those of you future wives, listen very carefully, okay? Wives, your response to the leadership of your husband is an example of your relationship to Jesus Christ and your response to his leadership in your life. So the way in which you respond to your husband is going to reflect how you respond to Jesus. Spiritual leadership. Husbands. The way you treat your wife, the way you love your wife, the way you care for your wife, the way you protect your wife, the way you nurture her, the way that you the way that you just do life with her. Okay? That is an example and a reflection of your own relationship with Jesus and your response to him and his leadership in your life. But here's the thing. You've got the wife, you've got the husband, and both roles, both spiritual leaders, both spiritual leaders are on full display for the whole world to see. And when I'm talking about the whole world, I'm talking about their world. It's, on, it's for the whole world to see. And your relationship with Christ is to be a portrait of Christ's love and sacrifice. It's that profound mystery that Paul talks about in verse 32. He says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So 
the wife, as she submits to the husband, she's doing it because she has submitted to Christ and his leadership in her life. The husband is going to lay down his life for his wife because he is following the example of Jesus Christ himself, who laid his life down for the church, his bride, and his body. And both people, the husband and the wife, the man and the woman in the relationship, are the example for the world to see. And they are a, dis- a, a demonstration, a display, a portrait, a picture, a painting that is so beautiful that demonstrates the love and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Your portrait is that. Your marriage is a portrait for all to see. Any love that drags a person down is false. Any love which coarsens instead of refines the character is not love. Any love that nece- which necessitates deceit instead of building trust is not love. Any love which crushes the spirit and if, instead of strengthening the heart is not love. When Adam was created, get this, when Adam was created with dominion over the earth, Eve ruled over the earth with him, okay? Eve ruled over the earth with him as his helpmate, not as his servant. In a sense, God made him king, made Adam king over the creation, and God gave to Adam as his queen, not as a slave girl. It was a beautiful relationship between the two. Unfortunately, they both messed up. We're not just going to blame Eve, all right? They both messed up. They both disobeyed God. But like Adam and Eve, you and your spouse are to provide spiritual leadership that begins with the personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and then it impacts the world for Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our third cornerstone. This third cornerstone is what we call raising up the next generation of spiritual leaders. Raising up the next generation of spiritual leaders. The, the Bible teaches us that in God's blueprint, that parents have the primary responsibility for teaching children the truth about God. It's the parents' responsibility. They're, that's the primary role of, the, of mom and dad is to teach your kids the truths about God and His will. Psalm 145 says this, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the instruction and the training of the Lord. There's a couple of ways. Let's talk about exasperation for just a second. I'm sure, I know I have been guilty of exasperating my own children, and I am guilty of what this, Bible, what this verse is saying not to do. But let's talk about just a couple of ways in which we can exasperate our children so that we can be aware of it and so that we can think about, all right, how, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to be different and, and more patient, not treating our kids as their sins deserve, okay, as God treats us as our, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. So we're going to follow God's example there. But here's a couple of ways in which we can exasperate our children. Number one, we can exasperate our children when we control rather than release. When we control rather than release. Tight control is oftentimes a result of fear that's ingrained in the heart. And it can be an insult to our children. 
And, then, and, and when we keep our kids reined in for too long, it's, it's almost like we're not trusting them, which is simply to say that we just don't have confidence in them or maybe even in the training that we've given. Now, some of you, you may sit here and go, oh, I totally disagree with what you're saying, Spence. Totally disagree. But I just want you to think about it. Okay? I'm not saying you let them have a free-for-all. I'm not saying you don't have boundaries. I'm not saying anything like that. But I am saying that when we control them, and for those of you who have experienced a controlling parent, know exactly what I'm talking about here. When we control rather than release, it's, it's, a, it's a demonstration of, it really comes down to trust. I don't trust you. I've heard it said this way. It's better to make the mistake of trusting too much than of too much control. It's better to make the mistake of, of trusting too much rather than too much control. Number two, second way we can exasperate our kids is that we criticize rather than encourage. It really kind of goes, it's really two sides of the same coin. All right, when we control rather than release, we also are going to probably be critical rather than encouraging. Benjamin West was an 18th century painter. And how he became a painter was his mom had left him and his sister at home by themselves, and Benjamin found this numerous uh, amounts of ink and different colors of ink, and he decided that he was going to paint a portrait of his sister Sally. So his mom leaves, leaves him in charge of his sister, him and his sister Sally, and she goes off, and he just makes this huge mess at home. Huge mess. He's painting his sister, and there's ink all over the place. His mom comes back home. She sees the mess. She doesn't say one word about the mess. Doesn't say a thing. Now, how many of us, we would walk into our house and say, Good night. What have you done? You clean up this mess right this minute, right? That's exactly what Lisa would do. But not Benjamin West, Mama. No, she came in. She didn't say a word. She just simply picked up the paper, and she says, Oh, wow. This is, this is a portrait of Sally. And then she kissed him. Benjamin West said, he said, my mother's kiss made me a painter. My mother's kiss made me a painter. You know, sometimes encouragement can do more than rebuke will ever do. Sometimes it's important to do the rebuke because they need it, all right? Well, let's think twice before we do it, making sure that it's timely and it builds up. Let's be more encouraging rather than critical. Not only do the parents have a responsibility with the training of their kids and leading them into all truth, not only that, but the church plays a secondary role has a secondary responsibility to partner with parents in the discipleship of their children. The church is, has a, an incredible opportunity here to partner with families. We see that written in 
in Matthew 18, and we see it in Hebrews chapter 3. And because of that, it is important for every one of us. It doesn't matter if you have kids or you don't have kids. It doesn't matter if you are a grandparent, great-grandparent, parent, parentless, single, whatever. It does not matter. It does not matter. It's all of us tying into what God's plan is so that we can understand the biblical teaching behind the vision of our ministry to children, which is based off of Psalm chapter 78, verse 6. Listen to this. The Bible says that so that the next generation might put their hope in God. Our role as parents, as grandparents, as students, single adults, men, women, our role is to declare the promises in the, of God to the next generation so that that next generation of spiritual leaders does the exact same thing and they follow that example. So what does that mean for you? That means we need to make sure that our relationship with the Lord is in line, that we're diving into what God's Word says. We may be new to this, that's okay. You don't have to be, you don't have to know it all. But, but it does help to be around people that do know God's word, that do know God, and that can help you in your relationship with God and can bring you along with that and can help you take those next steps. But our job as parents, our job as the church is to help that next generation know God.